Hello and welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, uh, nursing a sore voice for the last week or so. And look who's back! Doing the heavy lifting for that sore voice, the corporate pedestrian advocate, <laughs> Joseph Peters. It's our old dear friend, the new Nightside executive producer, and my new boss, Joseph Peters. I am. That's what you meant to say. Not your boss. Yeah, you are my boss. I think, I mean, that's what it says on your jacket. I think it says right over there on your uh, new nameplate on your desk. It says Joseph Peters, Nightside executive producer, and Jason's new boss. You know, I'll That's what it. I see. I will take it. I'll put it on the business card. So tell us about you were gone last week. We had the lovely and talented uh, Nicole Brady filling in uh, uh, for you, and we uh, had a great time, and Nicole did fabulous work. But um, uh, uh, tell us about your East Coast adventure. Uh, so we flew to Providence, beautiful city. Uh, sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> drove to Atlantic City, uh, the Garden State Parkway, and that entire drive a lot from Rhode Island down to Atlantic City through New York. Terrible. Uh, we dr- we took public transportation from Atlantic City to Philadelphia, which was like strangely pleasant after the fr- after the plane and the car to just be like sitting on a bus and like veg out and kind of melt as you drove from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. Uh, we saw the Eagles. My brother was wearing Falcons gear as the Eagles played the Falcons in Philadelphia. Oh no. He, How did that go over? People in Philadelphia are rude. Yeah, you think? They, they are not nice. No? Uh, and especially when you're in – I'm telling you, Jason, it was 89,000 green shirts and, like, four red shirts and me and my Patriots hat. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well for either one of us. I can see why. It's like wearing a Broncos jersey at an Oakland Raiders game. Yeah, you can't do that. No. I saw people wearing Raiders gear around here this week. I thought they were crazy. But so what the, What stood out to me was – uh. Coming back from Philadelphia to New Jersey, we took a li- we took a uh, limo, right? I ordered limo service Ooh, because I fancy. Well, and I felt like that was going to get us there quickest and safest after the game, right? Come to find out, the limo has to park in the same lot as the Lyft drivers and Uber drivers and et cetera, and that lot is about a half mile away from the stadium. So there's no advantage to it, and the Lyft from New Jersey to Philadelphia would have been a solid $100, $150 cheaper, which I thought was really surprising. And even for a Lyft XL, it would have been a discount. So I, it made me wonder how much that company is going to put limousines out of business, not just taxis. Because, I mean, what's the difference between – a limousine service is Black Escalade and a Black Escalade that I order through Lyft. None. 90 bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know? There you go, the price. Yeah. So that, that was what stood out the most to me. I mean, we went to Vermont after that, and if anybody who's driven up in Vermont knows that is one of the best places to just get in a convertible, put the top down, and enjoy yourself on the Leaves roads. were changing, maybe? We missed it by a week. Oh, I know, and this so isn't sorry. a visual medium, so it's not like we can put up pictures of leaves changing or anything. But I did see our leaves here in Colorado yep. changing on GMA this morning. That's right. We do have a lot of the leaves in the mountains changing. We have some around uh, Metro Denver starting to change. Some of the le- some of the trees are all yellow. Others are just all green. Some are already just poof. The the leaves right. are gone. Right. It's it seems like as we've had a late summer that we're going to have about twenty minutes of fall, and then it's going to go right into winter. I can't wait. Bring on the snow, man. It's been too hot out here. This they just year. started making snow up at uh, A Basin for the ski area. Beautiful. Overnight. So Shred it's it. getting starting to get cold enough. You you weren't affected by the hurricane at all, right? I mean, you didn't see any of that? No, we missed that too. Although a lot of my friends in New Bern, uh, I mean, they're still getting damaged right now. Even though the hurricane's off the coast, the rising rivers have flooded places and closed highways even as recently as like yesterday. Yeah, and that's going to be a long cleanup. Just like they had in Houston, um, it, it would be uh, probably helpful for the folks in at least maybe the emergency officials in North Carolina to reach out to the people in Houston and Texas 
and maybe get some tips about how to uh, maybe go about this a little bit faster, maybe learn from uh, what they learned about about their damage recovery. Well, and I don't even know if the recovery can really start for another week or two. I mean, a lot of the simple stuff like the branch clearing and the getting the majority of the water off the road has already happened. But in terms of the rebuilding that's going to have to happen in some of those coastal cities, I, we may never see it get built out the way it was again. Or we may see it get taken over by corporations and things like that. Some of these homeowners who have lived there for 20 years may say, it's time for me to go, and that entire area gets redeveloped for something else. And then you have that property loss, because not only, let's say, if you own, like my house, burns down, at least I still own the ground, mm-hmm. and I can rebuild the structure. In, in, in those areas, the land is gone. In a lot of those barrier islands and along the coast, part of the land is actually disappeared and changed forever. Um, and, and so I, I, I have no idea how you, how you deal with that because you, that's a total loss. Yeah. And there's really almost no recovery from, from some of those areas. Absolutely tragic. And I was reading not only are the roads, many of them damaged, that the estimates to rebuild those and get the infrastructure going again is going to be tremendous. And obviously, the cleanup is going to be a long time trying to get deliveries back in there and get some of the stores open, the shops open, get people working again. Because when the shops close or they're looted or and they have to be rebuilt, well, those people that were working there, they are not working. Typically, they're on hourly, and they're not getting work, and they're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously a problem. They, they don't have AFLAC insurance to help them out. Right. Um, and, and then I was also reading about all the cars like they did in Houston. A lot of the dealerships, they moved a lot of their cars out of the way, at least they tried to, and try to minimize the damage, and then they're bringing a lot of new cars in because there are so many cars that are damaged and flooded out, Mm -hmm. just like they had down in Houston. So I think it's going to be a lot like that process. Now, Houston is getting back to some sort of normalcy. Right. I think they're still digging out in a lot of neighborhoods, rebuilding in a lot of neighborhoods, um, still spending a lot of money, and it's going to be that way in North and South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, devastation is a word you hear like way too often, and it doesn't really hit home uh, always. But the pictures from this one have just been astounding. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's and it was interesting when I was uh, watching the hurricane, watching the coverage, and and, and all these people were were not going to want to get out. They wanted to stay, and they they said, "Oh, this is just a category two, and it's just going to be some wind, and it's not going to mm-hmm. be that bad." But it was never really about that. It was always about the aftermath of not only the storm surge, but also. The, the potential of the torrential rains that we actually saw. Yep. Um, and that's what's doing most of the damage. So uh, why would you, if or, or anybody, want to steal an ambulance? Uh, to would get you? to the other side. Uh, that's close. Okay. Well, 25-year-old Michael Paul in Broward County, Florida, he wanted to steal an ambulance. And police say that Michael stole the ambulance as firefighters were wheeling an emergency patient into Broward Health North Medical Center. They, at least they took the person that was injured needing to get medical care at the hospital. They got him out first, and then Michael stole the ambulance. But, boy, that's a totally different story if they don't take the passenger out first. Am I right? <laughs> wow. He, he told detectives that he had just been released from the hospital, and he, quote, needed a car to get home. In addition to grand theft auto or ambulance in this case, Mike was charged with driving without a license. You would think that would be the least of his worries after stealing an ambulance. Ugh. There was no information if he was driving with the lights and sirens going because that would make it a lot more fun. So I imagine he must have run out of gas, right? You don't. You don't no, he made it home. An ambulance. Uh, okay. And then then that's where that's where they they nabbed him. Oh boy! Most people don't like bugs. Do you like bugs? Hate them. 
Okay, good. I, I guess it depends on the kind of bug. Lady. Everybody likes the ladybug. Yeah, I mean, I, right? I think that's about the only one, right? I like the bugs from a bug's life. Yes, bug's life. Those Ants. are good. Those are good bugs. Um, one bug I really hate: bed bugs. Yes, those are the bad bugs. Yes, they are. Um, they're really gross, probably because they're blood sucking bugs, and they're very hard to kill. And they invade your sacred bed mm-hmm. or other places, like a city bus. <sighs> I saw a video from Philadelphia where you just were. Oh, good. Okay. Of a city bus. That showed one of their city buses was infested, one of the seats there, with bed bugs. The nasty critters, because they'll cling to just about anything. Right. Um, they, they, it, it, just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really need to be a bed. It's just about any fabric that they can get into. And they can be spread like locusts across any city. And that's exactly what happened in Philadelphia on the city buses. Yikes. Now, SEPTA... Already has over 500 buses operating with full plastic interior seating, so they don't have a problem like this. Now, the seats aren't comfortable, but at least they don't have the bed bugs. I mean, which would you take, more comfortable or bed bugs? I would take, uh, I would take less comfortable and fewer bed bugs. There we go. Uh, it also helps to reduce cleaning cost and cleaning times with the, just the plastic seats because they can just wipe them down, right? But that still leaves over about 900 or so buses that they have with cloth seating. And that was where these bugs were found. And they intend to now retrofit all of their buses over the next three years to try to help keep the buses cleaner and more bed bug free. What a world we live in where they say, you know what, I don't know if we can keep the bed bugs off these buses. Let's just rip out all the interiors and replace them with plastic seats. Well, and SEPTA did say they, they, they saw the video. They took action where they took the bus out of service, and they said they deep-cleaned it. Uh, deep-cleaning, for me, in this case, would be burning the bus to the ground. Well, exactly, and it's like somebody brought that onto the bus, and you can keep the buses as clean as you want to, but you can't keep unclean people off the bus. Right, so that maybe unwilling, unknowing person is infested with bed bugs and getting on bus after bus after bus. Get that person out of here. Burn that person to the ground. So there you go. Enjoy public transit, my friends. <laughs> Human race coming out. And watch for the bed bugs. And speaking of public transit, by now I'm sure you've seen that viral video of the man on the commuter train in New York. You haven't seen that? I have not seen All that. right, so there's this guy. He, he, well, he was going from uh, New York to New Jersey. Oh, the shaver. The shaver. And, yeah. he, was sh- and, he, and he, was, he was shaving. And then he was flicking the shaving goop from his face right onto the floor of the train. Um, it, it was, I thought it looked pretty gross. I mean, you sit, just sitting in one of those seats, put on the regular foam shaving cream that you see right there on his face, started shaving his face. And then when the razor filled up with that cream and hairs, he would flick his hand and arm down to the ground and that goop would just splat right onto the floor. Mm-hmm. Now the person who was sitting across recorded the video, posted it to Twitter. And of course it was shared instantaneously all over the world. And people were calling it gross, as I had, and calling it nasty, and they called him an animal. Maybe that's going a little bit too far. Uh, basically, they were shaming this man to no end. Well, a reporter from the Washington Times, as reporters do, they, they, they went and they looked for this guy, and they caught up with him. And they wanted to find out what his story was and uh, why he was on the train and why he was shaving on the train. And apparently this guy was going to his brother's house to ask for some help because he apparently has fallen on some hard times. He said he's felt the weight of a couple of tough weeks. He hadn't had a chance to shower. He hasn't shaved in days. He was basically homeless. 
and he wanted to look good for his brother's family, and it was that impulse, a few strokes of the razor and flicks of the shaving cream onto the floor that were enough to vault him into internet infamy. The man is now staying with his brother, who said he'd help manage the money that people from all over the world are now donating to this guy. He is getting all kinds of money from uh, the GoFundMe account and from other donations, all to this guy. Now, when I first saw this video, I, ha- I had the same reaction as most. I, um, I thought it was gross. I thought it was wrong. I mean, re- who wants to sit in that same spot and see and smell that goop right there on the floor? Right. I, I don't. I mean, if you were on that bus going to Philadelphia and you sit down and you see a whole bunch of white shaving cream and hairs on the floor, it's it's gross, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't think the trains, maybe those trains have bathrooms, but that obviously would have been a better place to do the shaving. He, he could have even asked somebody for a leftover newspaper, flung it into the newspaper, and then thrown the newspaper out. Well, here's the deal, and I wanted to... I wanted to- give you some space before I said my piece on this. We can separate this into two things. I can feel bad for you as a homeless person. I can also judge you for deciding to shave in a public space. Yes. Right? Like, I have a right to do that. And frankly, I don't think it's out of line to judge you for doing that. That's that's not something that somebody does who's in a good place mentally. Right? That's not something that somebody does that's healthy. That's not something that something, somebody does when they're stable. I, you can find a bathroom somewhere to shave. Like, any, anybody who's been through hard times knows how difficult it is to get by day to day, and I respect that. But you can do that without doing something so disgusting and so personal as scraping the hair off your face and, like, throwing that onto the ground in front of other people. That's just blatant disregard for everybody around you, and it's disgusting. So I, I respect the people who feel sympathetic for him and donate money to him and things like that. But let's not let this get confusing. He did something that was so vile that people on Twitter felt that impulsive reaction to share it with other people because they couldn't believe it either how disgusting what he was doing was. Yeah. And even after hearing the hard luck story, I still think it was gross and wrong. Now, I I feel bad for him and his situation. So as a a human, I feel bad for him. And I hope that he does get some help, maybe mental help and help from his brother and, and financial help. And obviously, he's getting that by, by so many people donating to him. But but I, I'm also now seeing that this guy is he's also getting money from the uh, so the guy who originally posted the video is taking all the um, the licensing fees and giving it to this guy. It, it, there was already over thirty thousand uh, dollars in the first day of donations to him. But but he could have thought about what he was doing. He was at Penn Station. They have bathrooms there at Penn Station. Presumably, he had the razor before he got on the train. Right. So, And the shaving cream before he got on the train. So why couldn't he have gone to the bathroom there at Penn Station? Why could You know what? I think it would have been gross for him even to walk out onto 7th Avenue right there in front of Penn Station, shaved up, and then flick the shaving cream on the sidewalk or the road. But still, it would have been a better option than doing it on the train. Well, and this is so generational, right? Because I think in a prior generation, in your generation maybe, uh, somebody would have walked up to the guy and said, what the hell are you doing? 
But our generation, or my generation, I should say, is more the type to take a video of it and right. post it somewhere. So instead of the one-to-one shame of you confronting him human-to-human and saying, what are you doing? This is wrong. And maybe you, in that case, you'd be the one helping him out. Right. You would hear his story. Yes. Instead of that, it becomes one versus one million, ten million, all the people that see this video online. So it just goes to show how culture has shifted from issues that are solved in a local manner versus issues that suddenly become a very national manner in a way that's almost like disturbing. Yeah, because I agree with this national uh, narrative that is associated with the story saying that social media is really now too quick to judge people. And like you say, in my time, people faced other people. Mm-hmm. And they talk to other people and they would say, what What are you doing? But now, like you say, you're taking videos and just posting them because I think, one, it's just the way people interact now, at least the younger right. the younger folks. And they also think that people are also always looking for, because of the way social media works, they're always looking for the next great video. They're always looking for the next great moment to share because then it's good for them and it's good for their uh, their social media accounts. Well, and also validating their opinion, right? Because I think this generation, my generation, if, if I walk up to you one-to-one and I say, what are you doing? And you come back at me and say, uh, I'm shaving. What are you doing? How am I supposed to respond to that? There's nobody on my side in that situation. Right. I'm going to look around and a bunch of people are going to put their head down. You know, whereas if you post it online, everybody gets to make their own judgment. That is the court of public opinion, and you can get that sort of instant poll. Well, eight people liked this video and thought it was funny. Two people thought it was disturbing. I'll take that. Because in this business we're in, and you, you'll know this as, as a manager, and you'll hear it from, from our, our upper management, when we're always looking for the next great video. Yep. Always looking for it to show on air and to show online. To, and, to a fault. And you know, I used to host that, that segment on the morning show at 4.30. Um, that I used to call what it's the, um, uh, stories from around the internet, yep. uh, the interesting, strange videos and stories that I would collect. Um, it was before they started doing the right in this minute segment thing, uh, that whole show. Well, also before the world of rights fees became yeah. such a minefield <laughs> that too. And I feel the pressure every single day to post eye catching videos and, and pictures on my social media accounts because there's pressure from on high to do that sort of thing. Jason Luber, traffic guy on Facebook. Great follow if you want to find those <laughs> eye-catching videos. I mean, it, to get the right post out there, it takes a lot of interaction. Yep. And everybody's always looking for the right interaction. We, we have a board right here in the newsroom that shows, that, that ranks everybody from top to bottom, how well you're doing for the day on your social media, really, it's just your Facebook posts, mm-hmm. but how you're doing with interaction every single day. Yeah. Every what? single day. Now, now, now to me, th- that that isn't a healthy way to run a newsroom where you have everybody competing, almost, not, not quite uh, Hunger Games competing against each other, but I still don't think it's a healthy way to compete against each other saying, well, my post is better than your post. I'm not going to disagree with what you're saying, but at the same time... What are we supposed to do? I mean, we're, it's a business of public figures, right? We're, we're trying to find the top public figures in every market. And if, if you can't maintain a position among the top public figures, that's a problem for everybody. You know, and, and that's not a, again, you're great, man. Uh-huh. Like, it's not you that I'm referring to. But, um, you know, it is sort of Hunger Games-ish. I won't dispute well, that. Well, look, on my last, pers- on my last uh, personnel review, I, I got very little feedback on my on-air performance. But I did get comments that were highlighted about my placement on the board every day and, and how I can make it a little bit higher yep. and how I can always try to do posts that will make it better 
and get more interactions. Now, the, uh, unfortunately, see, I have a, a couple of videos. I have a, a video that was posted back in July that now has over a million views. Um, it was of a uh, tow truck or this this courtesy truck pushing a car off the interstate to the oh, side, yeah. right? So it, it, it just took some time before it took off. So I'm not getting any credit for that on the crowd tangle because – it didn't happen in that one day. Typically, viral videos don't take off in one day. Right, they it marinate. takes yeah, it exactly it takes weeks, or in this case, it took months. But I'm not getting any credit for that, even though I've had uh, uh, views on my my page of over the uh, several hundred thousand. So, what what do you do with that? I again, I think you're doing great. <laughs> well, and you're my boss, so I guess yeah, that helps. It's all good. Like I know for and watch the video of the. Of the tow truck pushing oh, the car off the road because that thing is fantastic. And, and I'm not sure if we're if the world's really ready to give up their social media accounts just yet. Nope. Um, nope. I, I do think there are some kinks in the armor, though. I do think there has been some changes, not just because of this story and this guy, but of other stories. Um, a, a good one to, to remember is the one with the couple that was on the airplane. And somebody in the seat behind them was, was tweeting, live tweeting, about this couple and how she changed seats with one person and then they hit it off, presumably, right. and were walking through the airport holding hands and it's a new airline love, whatever the case. And that wasn't the case. So, and that went crazy wild all over the internet. I think that you have to be really skeptical of like literally everything you see now because it's so easy to work people because social media does not provide a true representation of things. Look at the Trader Joe's guy. Or, Nobody's sure if that that was a real story or not, or if it was something that was planted by a smart PR person to gain attention. I have no idea why that guy was working at Trader Joe's. He says he was trying to make some extra money. Why should I believe that? Why should I believe that he wasn't trying to go viral in a different way? You know, and so I, it, the rise of social media is also you're talking the rise about the Cosby of, uh, yeah, show guy, the, right? Exactly. I just think the rise of social media gives you so many opportunities to create things that are more than they are in in the name of seeking attention. And I think it's going to be little stories like this. Every so often, little chinks will be taken out of the armor. Look, I don't know if it'll ever fall down. I don't know if it'll ever uh, all the way go away. But uh, I I do know that I'm getting turned off by it more and more every day. And if I didn't have to do it for my job, I I wouldn't do it that much. Maybe I would go away for it and then come back after a while. But If it's a reality check to people to check it less, good. Yeah. Now this, Joseph, bless you. Thank you. This is the time usually we stop and take a quick break. Usually. You get to hear some music from an independent, royalty-free artist that I collect somewhere on the internet. Some clever promotional messages from the members of the Denver 7 morning team. And and then we come back to to continue the show. Now last week I was with Nicole. And for whatever reason, I I skipped the break. We just went all the way through. We just continued all the way on. I, I don't know why. We just did it. That's just the way. No music, no promotional messages, just us. It, it did feel a bit weird, but it was also good at the same time. Oh. I actually kind of like it because it sped up the post-production process of this uh, podcast. Goodbye breaks. Really? That's what I was wondering. Anyway, what do you think about the break? Should we keep it or should we, or should we uh, ditch it? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I've had enough of that Eric Lufer guy. I was <laughs> <laughs> did you hear... This morning he was, he had to run up. He didn't want to take the elevator. He had to run up. He had two minutes to go from the studio to the fifth floor. 
<laughs> to do the segment for the Red Cross because we're helping collect donations for the uh, people in North Carolina. Okay. And so he ran, instead of taking the elevator, he said he was going to take too long. He ran up the five flights of stairs. And, the, you know, the first one, it's like a flight and a half. Right. And he got up there to that room, come to him live, and he's, <sighs> okay, th- thank you very much. We're here with him. And, he, and he's just barely able to talk because he's trying to catch Look, his breath. I, 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 I find it hard to laugh at that because I know what a bear the stairs are here. Oh, yeah. And it's a running joke in the newsroom like, that if you want to feel out of shape, just try to climb two flights of stairs in this building and watch yourself not have any breath for 10 minutes. <laughs> and so he quickly goes to, you know, to, to, to ask somebody, that, so, so so what do you think about this? And he's and he asking the, one of the people for an interview so he can try to catch his breath. It was great. Uh, so anyway, I mean, I still like the idea uh, of ha- having the breaks. If we ever got a sponsor, that really was the original idea of the break, was if we ever got a real sponsor, that would be a real place to put the real break. But now I'm listening to other podcasts where they just drop it in right in the middle of a show, mm. um, which is kind of weird, or do it at the beginning. But then people can just hit the 30-second forward button, and off they go, and they never listen Don't, to any of it. You can't tell the companies that, man. Then they'll stop doing it. Well, that's exactly what people do. <laughs> I am one of those people. I just, you know, I'm listening to one of these podcasts. And they're starting with three minutes of cur- so I'm just hitting the button, get to the content, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to make those breaks somewhat fun and interesting. But hey, if you the audience like the breaks, let us know. Email us, driving you crazy podcast at Gmail, or, or send us a message on Twitter or or a comment on the uh, on the iTunes or whatever the case may be. But until let's just skip the break. I guess we're, we're into this for ninety something episodes. <sighs> I guess bye. Oh, well, I guess we'll go on with the show. Okay. So I, I've had to deal with a broken down car. I'm sure you have as well. Yes. And and when you're waiting for a ride or a tow truck, there isn't really much you can do except for making the best of a bad situation. Well, there was a guy in Arizona that was driving down the freeway and his car broke down. So he decided to pass the time while help was on the way by playing his saxophone while standing outside his car to the passing traffic. <laughs> Not that they could really hear, hear him playing all. the saxophone. Uh, but he was doing that anyway. Bill Clinton? He, no, it was not Bill Clinton. Oh. I think he would have actually had several other cars in his motorcade helping him out. Uh, the guy was casually just leaning against his blue Honda SUV and playing the saxophone as cars flew by. Uh, some people at the Arizona Department of Transportation Camera Operations Center, like we have here in Colorado, they uh, started zooming in on the man. as They couldn't hear him, but they could at least see him. And they started tweeting out a couple of photos of him playing music, playing the sax, to the passing freeway traffic. Wow. Now, the tweet read, while everyone at ADOT loves an impromptu Baker Street performance, we remind our fellow art lovers that freeway shoulders are not the safest place to shred it on the sax. Is that what they call it? Sax uh, shredding. Uh, Baker Street, by the way, is that Jerry Rafferty song with a long sax solo. Uh, you know, okay. you you... you no, you're not familiar. I'm sure Jerry that, Rafferty. That is one. I'm not good with song titles. I'm no. sure I've heard it. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Art Bell used to play it off often on his overnight show. While we're talking about saxophones, yes, sir. Kenny G. Yes, sir. In or out? Out. Out on Kenny G. Well, I know. Look, he's he's funny if he does a, a little cameo appearance in some kind of movies because he's been funny doing that, making fun of himself. But but no, no thanks. <laughs> Thank you, but no. You don't own the Kenny G records. I do not. Zamfir on the pan flute, maybe, but not the Kenny G. Zamfir on the pan flute. Uh, a quick search on Twitter found this guy. His name is uh, Antonio Nango. He's 18 years old. 
He's now calling himself Freeway Saxman. <laughs> I love that. He posted a video of him playing the sax and writing, I guess I'm famous now. Got to practice. What happened was Antonio actually ran out of gas. He was waiting for roadside assistance to show up and get him going again. And that's when he decided to practice his version of Wham's Careless Whisper a few times. <laughs> you know that song, yeah? I, come on, man. Like, would you not go see Freeway Saxman in concert? Oh, sure. I think I... <laughs> He's going to be a headliner. This guy has a whole career based off this one... Oh, my God. As you can imagine, the internet saw the pictures and ran with it with some amazing puns. Now, that's what I call a traffic jam. Oh, God. Of course, you saw that coming. Come on. Sometimes you got to jazz when the jazz hits you. I'm glad he spent his time practicing rather than uh, mindlessly surfing on his phone, though. That's, America, that's don't let mean. this band geek troll you. We we already have a trombone shorty. Do we need a freeway sax man? Yes, we do. Okay. The world needs freeway sax. Maybe free, freeway sax can do a duet with Kenny G. Or not. <laughs> Dueling saxes. Joseph, we both love to travel, right? Yes, sir. I think about everybody in the world loves to travel, except for maybe the frequent business traveler. Y- you've seen The Amazing Race. Yes. Yes. I think most people have, where teams of two people travel around the world, competing in challenges along the way. Well, anyway, there's an upcoming event, and it's called the 15th Annual World Travel Championship. It's also known as the Global Scavenger Hunt that will pay out $50,000 to the winner of the competition. So, if you think you are the best traveler in the world... They are looking for you, and they're accepting applications right now for that event that's going to take place in the spring. So joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast to talk about this event is the director of the Global Scavenger Hunt, Bill Chalmers. Hi, Bill. Well, good good day to you. Now, before we get into the event, Bill, uh, tell me why you hate camels so much. Oh, three words. Don't wear shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's probably good. I would agree with that. (laughs) What's the backstory on that? Well, the backstory was I was in uh, Morocco uh, going from Marrakesh to the Atlas Mountains, and uh, camel ride was supposed to take place for two, three days. And uh, after about two hours of wearing shorts, my uh, legs had gone raw on me, and I ended up walking the camel for the next eight hours. So I wondered who zoomed who on this one. Yeah, you're not kidding. All right, so note to self, I'm writing that down. No shorts on a camel. For the next time no. you go camel riding, exactly, or or, or elephants. Remember that also because they have uh, they do have hair. <laughs> okay. okay, all right then. Uh, we <laughs> so tell us about this event <laughs> and how a guy like me or Joseph could get involved in it. Sure, we started this event in the year back in the year two thousand when life was simpler and travel was simpler, and uh, we've been doing it pretty much every year since then. And it, we try to assemble a great group of travelers from around the world, and we take them on what we call a blind date with the world. We're going to tell them that only that we're going to visit ten countries while we circumnavigate the globe, but we don't tell them which countries they're going to go to. And then when we get in those places, we ask them to do things that they probably wouldn't do on their own, but they end up trusting strangers in strange lands and doing all kinds of interesting things and having a ball. So if I'm at home and I'm trying to participate in this, what's the process like to be vetted by you to become one of the uh, championship seekers? Sure. Uh, We have a website called globalscavengerhunt.com. That's globalscavengerhunt.com, and we accept applications there. 
And then what we do is we have conversations with everybody. We only take a limited group of travelers every year, and we want to make sure we have the right cocktail. So I don't want to be committing travel malpractice in any way and taking someone who probably ought not to go on this or is expecting a sleep-on-the-beach Maui kind of vacation because this is a fun event. It's not rigorous physically, but it's rigorous of the mind. Now, do participants have to pay their own money to be involved in this, or, or do you pay the way? How does that work out? Yep, no, they have to pay an entry fee, and the entry fee is $25,000 for Oof, two travelers. Okay. That's that's a travel, lot of bread right there. To travel around the world, it's for two folks for 23 days, includes all international airfare. It includes three nights in great hotels, usually about 40% of your meals, some ground transportation stuff, and uh, so it's it's about 500 bucks a day. You're right, it's a lot of money. So th- this is for teams of two, or is it for single people, or teams of more than two? How does that work out? It's teams of two, two folks. We want two people to, to kind of like be travel buddies to figure things out. I find that uh, when I travel with somebody else, I travel easier and simpler because two minds are better than one. But we do allow uh, single applicants to apply, and we're actually very good at hooking them up on a blind date to go on a blind date with the world. So that's been kind of neat. And and actually on three events early on in the event in uh, the history of our event, uh, we hooked up three teams that had never traveled before, and they ended up winning the event. So how many teams do you usually bring with you? Are we talking about like a dozen or 30? Yeah, my sweet spot is 12 to 15. I, I find that that's a good, uh, a good cocktail, a good mix of people. Otherwise, you get too many people, you're hurting a lot of cats uh, or taming a lion here or there. But uh, usually 12 to 15 teams uh, is a good, good mix. Got it. So who so who does the best in these kind of competitions? Is it is is it the intellectual types? Is it the athletic types? People who maybe have traveled extensively before on the Amazing Race. You see, different uh, teams have different strengths, and so they do pretty well uh, in different events as they're traveling around the world. So who makes the best team? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when I started this event, I thought it was all about travel, and it has certainly morphed into all about the individuals going to it, although it is a, a travel adventure. Uh, we've now been to 85 countries in the world on this adventure, and my goal is to get to 100, uh, so I'm working on that very quickly. But we get interesting folks. We get folks that are uh, from the group, the MTPs, which are the most traveled people. We get Century Club folks that have been to 100 countries, circumnavigators that have circled the globe. We get travel agents, travel writers, bloggers. Uh, we get a few uh, Instagram influencers try to go on our trip. Uh, but we, And we get a lot of uh, amazing race uh, people who say at home, I could do that. And then they find out they really can't do that. Uh, <laughs> who can do this? Uh, it is not, as I mentioned, it's not a physical pursuit. I'm not going to make you climb Mount Everest or deep sea uh, scuba dive. But it is, if you can take the walk in the noonday sun, if you're curious, if you have that open gene where you're curious and you're open and you're willing to trust strangers in strange lands and talk to people and ask directions. So to make it short, Women do really well because they're willing to ask directions. <laughs> yeah. We're talking to Bill Chalmers, world traveler, author, and event director of the 15th annual World Travel Championship. Now, Bill, in this championship, nobody's getting eliminated, right? It's more of a point system that everything's based on round by round. 
That's correct. It, it's more of a uh, European rally where we start and we stop. Uh, because we're going to 10 countries, we may be in a country for two days, and you'll be given a list of things to do over two days. Or we may be, uh, you know, let's say we're in Singapore and we're just changing planes. You may only be there for eight hours and be given a list of things to do for eight hours. But it all adds up, yes, it's all points based on a risk-reward system of doing things, harder things, worth more points. And uh, we add them all up, and we keep track of it, and we crown the world's greatest travelers. And this year, fifty thousand bucks, first place, first place, winner take all, cash prize. And so you said that you let your sweet spot is like a dozen teams, fifteen teams. So we're talking thirty yeah. people. How much crew exactly. is there involved on your end on that? And are you part of that crew that's going from country to country? Uh, well, I, I am. I live vicariously through this. I would actually like to do it. Uh, I was actually involved in a race around the world in public transportation way back in 1989, right out of a Jules Verne book, Around the World in 80 Days. And I was lucky enough to win that event. And I've ever since then been wanting to participate in something like that. No one ever did it, so I finally put it together. Uh, there's usually three or four event uh, road, road uh, officials that go with the group, but uh, that's pretty much it. We keep it lean and mean. The race around the world, you mentioned this, this race around the world on public transportation. Is that thing? Is that still a thing? No, it was a one-off. Uh, it was called the Human Race, and it was way back in 1989. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a very unique experience, and I went on it with a graduate school friend of mine who was also a stand-up comic. Uh, and we had the best of times and the worst of times, and uh, we ended up doing it in 17 days. And uh, National Geographic called us the world's greatest travelers. That's where that title has come from, and I've, I've kind of moved that along into what our organization does. And But, God, I wanted to do it again the next year, and no one ever, ever. And after 10, 12 years, uh, I decided to quit my day job uh as a political consultant, and I said, you know, I'm going to merge this with my foundation. And uh, so, knocked on wood, we've been able to do it now since the year 2000. By putting this together, I mean, this is a great way for you to see the world as well, right? I mean, you said that the the championship has gone to 85 countries. Have you been to all 85 of those countries? Uh, yeah, I have, yeah. That's amazing. I've, 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 I've done my fair share of traveling Uh I have uh, I stopped counting a long time ago when I was well over 100. So how do you arrange for all these activities in these different countries? Because I know with the Amazing Race, they have these uh, field producers and advanced producers that go out and talk to these countries, the governments, and actually have to set up uh, events and, uh, and get permissions so they can do the video. Now, presumably, I guess you're not recording this so you don't have to worry about that issue but how do you go about doing that because that seems like it's a lot of legwork ahead of the event well like i mentioned i've traveled a lot uh and uh we have a great uh, group of uh, travel string writers who have been out there who work for the various uh upi and ap and uh, cnn and everybody uh that have helped me when I have a question on things. I've made a lot of friends in the uh, in the world of news reporting, uh, as well as NGOs outlets, uh, people who work for Doctors of Borders and Care and UNICEF. And uh, whenever I have a tricky question, they're always willing to help me out. I got I have a great great Rolodex if you can still use Rolodex anymore. <laughs> So what's what's the key? Because I, I was reading as part of the event that scavenger hunts going to participate in cultural uh, scavenges like uh, meditating with monks, training elephants, uh, make sure you wear pants, uh, taking flamenco <laughs> lessons, uh, cooking local dishes with local chefs, and trusting strangers in strange lands. Is that really the key? Is to maybe be able to trust the locals I- to help you out? 
Well, you, you wouldn't survive without it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, again, it's a blind date with the world. So we land in a destination. No one has been able to do prior research or information gathering on that. So you have to hit the ground running. And the best way to hit the ground running is talk to local people and to trust strangers in Strangeland. So that's why it's key. And that is also what really travel today is all about. I call it travel 3.0. It's all about being authentic. It's about participatory, and it's about challenging travel experiences. People love that, and I think the cognitive science is in on that. That's what makes our brain work. You know, it keeps us excited. I understand the sleep on the beach stuff, but for the most part, people want authentic experiences. They want challenging experiences, and they want to feel like they're participating. That's what this event is all about. And it is very unique in that regard, in that uh, you really do have to trust strangers in strange lands. It sounds like a trite saying, but... It really is true. You have to go and figure out how glass is blown in Morono, Italy, and you actually have to do it. You don't have to watch it. You're not going to sit there and passively sight see. You're sight doing. You're doing things. Uh, and so that's that's the great part about this event and why I love it so much and why I always thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime event. We now have to stop people from coming back over and over and over again. We have you know two or three teams a year that want to do it again because they know I'm constantly going to new countries and constantly asking them to do new, do new things. It's like they do two things a year. They do Burning Man and our trip. And it's, you know, it's a testament to a good, uh, I guess, you know, good karma from everybody. We're talking to Bill Chalmers. He's a world traveler. He's an author. He's the event director of the 15th annual World Travel Championship. And, and you, you just mentioned it, Bill, uh, uh, some of the previous winners of this event. So what happened to the 14 previous winners of this event? What, what are they doing and what, what did they use their championship, if you will, uh, in their future endeavors? Well, some of them have turned into uh, media personalities uh, because they did win the world's greatest traveler trophy. Uh, they got jobs as a result of that. Some of them are writers. Uh, some of them actually have day jobs, and they continue on with their world. We have uh, one couple who are, uh, they're called Lawyers Without Borders, and they've been coming for a few years, and uh, they just uh, love what we do, and uh, they also understand we have a charity element attached to it uh, that we're helping uh, people help themselves in the world. And some of the scavengers are actually, we send them to refugee camps, or we send them to hospices or, or different uh, uh, orphanages, and we go ask them to go help out for a day, and that's part of the scavenging that they have to do. Again, authentic, participatory, and challenging things. And, and you've been, obviously, all over the world. You've been, presumably, all over the United States. Where, where are some of your favorite places to go, not only in the world, but, but, but like right here in the U.S.? Well, I'm from uh, the Michigan area, so I can't, uh, I can't speak highly enough of the Great Lakes area. I'm a water guy. Uh, I love the water. I always have. I grew up on the water. And uh, that's near and dear to my heart. And then in the wintertime, anytime you can skate on water, uh, that's always a good thing, too. So <laughs> I'm a big water guy. I love uh, British Columbia. I love Washington, Idaho, Wyoming. Uh, but then again, I really love, like, Red Rocks uh, nearby you. Uh, I love uh, also Red Rocks in, in Arizona. Uh, I, I love the Southwest. Uh, New Mexico is a beautiful country, beautiful countryside. Uh I used to go to Telluride pretty much every year for New Year's. Uh, that was always a fun time to go. Uh, although I hated that Rocky Mountain roller coaster plane ride in. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a rough one because that's a small little airport right there in Telluride. And, and I've yes, driven over uh, Imogene Pass, which is right there, right outside. Of, uh, it's the only way to get to between Uray and Telluride uh, if you want to yeah. go the direct route. Um, so that's always a fun Jeep ride. I, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, you, you've obviously been on these different places. And, and I've been on a whole bunch of different cruises and, and different vacations. And I've learned some travel hacks when I, when I do those sort of things. So what are some, maybe a couple of your top travel hacks that, that could help maybe the average person on a, uh, on a vacation or just a, a trip going from here to there? Well, you know, first of all, uh, trips don't need to be as expensive as you think they are. Uh, I know we're prone to want to uh, have everything set up before you go. And I, I get that. I do understand that. There's security in that. But, you know, if you uh, are going on a vacation somewhere or a trip somewhere, I won't say vacation because I think there's different types of, uh, of a vacation is something you need to rest and relax and rejuvenate. You know, have some cocktails, stay on the beach, just hang out. Whereas a trip is a little bit more adventurous. You're trying to see new things and do new things. When you're doing the latter part, uh, you know, set up the your airfare, set up your first night at the hotel. But then after that, let it go and book things while you're in the country you're in. You'll find that it's much cheaper and you'll have more fun, too. And you'll also allow for... Uh, more serendipity to take place and that you won't be locked into four or five days in one place that you really don't want to be in there for four or five days. Maybe you only want to be there two days. Uh, and that gives some freedom. Uh, number two, of course, is always wear long pants when riding elephants and camels. Uh, <laughs> of course. It, it, it's key. It's really key. Uh, I'm not a big fan of single-engine airplanes. Uh, I get them. I take them. I have to take them occasionally. But uh, when I'm in Alaska or Africa, I, I really choose not to, if, if at all possible. <laughs> you are obviously one of the most well-traveled people we've ever talked to. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any feeling like going home? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, it's it's no, there's no feeling like going home, of course, but you do notice the compare and contrast when you are coming home, and that is something that's becoming more and more. And I will say it over the last decade, especially last twenty years, it was really coming home. You were coming home to everything was modern, everything worked. Last ten years, the rest of the world is catching up on us, and it's really kind of interesting as far as that goes. Uh, and it's not quite as friendly as getting in the country, even as an American citizen, as it used to be. Uh, and so things have changed. And it's interesting, the changes that have taken place in the world of travel over the last 10, 20 years. So give us that website again. If people want to get in, uh, involved here in, the, uh, in your challenge, how do they do that? Where do they go? Sure. Come to globalscavengerhunt.com, globalscavengerhunt.com, and uh, put in your application. Just tell us who you are, what you want to do, why you want to do it, and then we'll give you a ring and we'll chat and we'll have a good conversation and uh, we'll go from there. And uh, this year I'm looking at trying to get six, seven new countries in, so I'm trying to get to 92, 93. So if you are seeking new countries to go visit, this might be the thing to go on. That's fantastic. Bill Chalmers, thank you so much for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, that was pretty interesting. I, uh, if I had the 25K, I'd do it. Me too. Uh, I might organize my own race. If you can come up with 12 and a half, uh, maybe I can, um, I'll sell my wife's car and I come up with 12 and a half and then off we go. She, she can walk. 
Sorry, <laughs> sorry, wife. Look, I think we could win the fifty grand, and then I'll buy her a nicer car. I f- yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see. What, I, I would love to know what the quizzes are, or how you gain points. I, I feel like he said glass blowing in Italy. Bring it on, man. Oh, I'm I could do that. Go. Yeah, I could. I could definitely do some of that. I, I, I definitely would remember to wear pants um, during a lot of those. Because, but it would be tough if you're in, let's say, those uh, very hot countries. To wear pants, but I guess it's better than getting your inside of your legs all torn up. Correct. I wonder if he goes to Antarctica as well. We should have. And ride camels there? There you go. I doubt it. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> penguins. Maybe so. All right. Well, that's about it for the uh, for the old broadcast here today. Thanks again for being here and uh, being a part of the show. Leave us a uh, comment. Uh, and rate, review, and repeat. Rate, review, repeat. <laughs> As we say on the old iTunes, and that always helps us out. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'm Jason Luba, the Traffic Guy. I'm Traffic Jammer, Joseph Peters. <laughs> Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.